Well, welcome back for the fourth message on Colossians 2, 16 to 23 and all the implications that it brings to us as we think about how do we interact with and reconcile Paul's teaching about what our responsibility is to the law, the rules and regulations, and then how can we best nurture a life that restrains sensuous indulgence. Uh, today, um, I'd like to uh, give us what I consider to be the punchline in dealing with freedom in Christ. And the punchline I would suggest to you uh, is how do we live a free Christian life with one another in the local church? Now, we are an evangelical free church. Um, it doesn't mean that we are the only church that's got it um, act together. Um, but we are one church, and we've joined together. And uh, we have a, a, a general ethos of our church, and it's this. We major on the majors, and we minor on the minors. Uh, to put it another way, in essentials, unity. The, the policies that are a must, we're unified with. Doctrines, some of the key ways in which we do church. Uh, but they're minimalist policies, they're minimalist doctrines, because we've identified ten essential doctrines um, but there's a lot more doctrines than that floating around in Christian circles. We've identified 10 as essential, non-negotiable. So in essentials, unity, but in non-essentials, charity or love. Um, different ideas about end times prophecy, different ideas um, about you know, about how long was a creation day in Genesis chapter one. These are all things that we've, they're not, they're not inconsequential, but they're not the non-negotiables. And so when we have non-negotiables, we experience love, charity. So in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, but in all things, Jesus. Everything we do focuses on how do we glorify God. But what if believers disagree on what it means to glorify God? That's what I've been, I've been trying to set the table for us to have this discussion on how do we get along with people who might agree on the essentials but disagree on the non-essentials, how do we get along with them? There's a, a plethora of ideas that are out there to be considered. Because we're quite frankly faced with a lot of very important issues that I don't think are specifically ide uh, outlined in the scripture as essentials. Like um, some of the practices and technologies that go on reproductive health. Um, my wife and I, uh, after our son was born, um, we wanted to have more children. Um, but 
it wasn't going very well. And so we entered into a relationship with a reproductive specialist, and uh, he started taking us down the road, the road of um, doing some what might be called artificial things to help us conceive. And we got to a point where our conscience said, no farther. So we stopped. But that doesn't mean that people who go farther than we did are wrong. It just means that that we had to come to the conclusion ourselves. Uh, and thus we were fortunate and God blessed us with a beautiful little girl that we were able to adopt. And she's been part of our family and wonderful gift. So that was the way my wife and I dealt with that. There's lots of other issues that maybe aren't quite that weighty. Um, you know, it's very popular to get a tattoo now. What about that? Is it okay to get a tattoo? Um, here are some other ones that, that face that are authors of this book. The book that I'm dealing with is called Conscience. What it is, how to train it, and Loving Those Who Differ, and that's what I want to talk about today, Loving Those Who Differ, by Andrew Nasselli, N-A-S-E-L-L-I, and J.D. Crowley. Watching Mixed Martial Arts for Entertainment. <laughs> How to Treat Sundays. Dressing Modestly. Capitalism versus Socialism. Boy, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Fair Trade Coffee. You know, do we, uh, do we consume coffee where people who harvest it are not treated fairly? Global warming. Uh, God created the world. We should respect it, yes. But there's lots of diversity on how to do that. Uh, playing video games. Um, Harry Potter. What about that? Um, makeup. Um, Homeopathic medicine and antibiotics. Boy, there's Christian people who have got very uh, firm opinions on those type of things. Public school, private school, homeschool. Good heavens. <laughs> we could fight about that if we're not following the law of Christ. Um, a church with multiple services and multiple sites. Um, body piercing. Um, drinking alcohol in moderation. Uh, debt. Is it okay to go into debt? Um, when married couples should start trying to have children. Um, practicing daily devotions. Being overweight. What if a person's body shape is not like you see on the models on TV? Um, what about some of the childhood myths um, that we have in our families? Um, is it all right to do Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy? We had a we had a fun experience with our son. Um, he lost a tooth, and so we put a dollar under his his pillow. Of course, you know inflation. It used to be a quarter, but it was a dollar. And uh, and and in the morning he woke up and he said, "Mom, uh, there's there's a dollar under my pillow. How'd that get there?" And we said, "Well, it must have been the Tooth Fairy." And he says, "Ah." He says, there's no such thing as a tooth fairy. That was either you or Santa Claus that put it there. <laughs> so, but what about that? There are people who have very strong opinions about that. Um, 
What do we do with people who have different varying opinions from us in these issues of conscience? Well, I'd like to allow our study in conscience guide us in this discussion. And you're going to see a chart on your screen that the authors of this book have put out for us that, um, that I think is very important. This is a chart that I've, that's on the internet. So they have put it out on the internet, which gives public access to it. And uh, I simply clicked on the chart, copied it, and pasted it in my notes, and I gave it to our technical crew. And they've put it on, uh, on the screen for us. If you would like to have your own copy, hard copy of that, uh, you can go to the internet or you can even go to my notes that are published on our webpage and, uh, you can, you can open up my notes on your computer and click on this image, copy it onto your own, uh, copy and print it out in your printer if you'd like to use it. So there's no problem with us, uh, using this chart. Um, the authors of this book have given this chart and they've put in the context of helping us understand how do we get along with people with varying degrees of conscience. And they're using an image from uh, the book of Colossians, chapter 8, where Paul is talking about, is it okay to eat meat offered to idols? So here's a little bit of context about that idea. Back in the first century, it was common for there to be an idol temple where they would have feasts and parties and worship and celebration of a false god, an idol. And these feasts um, often would include a great um, feast of meat. And a lot of times as fundraisers, uh, these temple officials would take this meat after it is uh, put through this ceremony to this idol and they'd put it out in the market and sell it for public consumption. And so the question that was going around in New Testament circles in the church is, is it all right for a Christian to eat meat that's offered to an idol? And so Paul uses that, that, that discussion to teach us this idea of are there some principles to guide us and how do we get along with people who have differing views because of the varying degrees of whether they have a, a weak conscience or a strong conscience? So, let's take a look at this chart. And I'd like to go over it with you and uh, see if we might be able to understand uh, some principles from the New Testament. Now, you'll notice on this chart, um, that there are seven columns on this chart. And at the top of this chart, there are varying descriptions of each column from strong conscience to weak conscience. Strong conscience on the left, weak conscience on the right. So let's start by looking at the two extremes, the far left and the far right. A person with a strong conscience that is, a person who is really convinced. They don't let anybody tell them what to do. Um, they've got great peace in their heart. They're, they've got a strong conscience. But working in the local church, there can be uh, an inappropriate way to express 
that strong conscience. A strong conscience can be expressed by carelessly crossing the line into lawlessness and immorality. A person can say, as a, I'm free, I'm free from the law, so I can do whatever I want to. Paul talked about that, didn't he, in Romans chapter 5 and 6, uh, the first verse. Uh, may it never be, Paul says, that I sin that grace may abound. So this person eats meat. But here's what this person says. I have freedom not only to eat meat, but to go to parties at idle, at idle temples. <laughs> I can go ahead and participate in the worship of idols and go to idol parties and eat the meat there. Well, God pretty specifically says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God and that you shall have no other gods before me and that you should not practice idol worship. So a person who has a strong conscience but thinks that they can eat meat and go to idol worship, that's heresy. They distort the gospel by lawless subtraction. In other words, they subtract the essentials of the gospel by the misuse of their freedom due to the fact they have a strong conscience, but it's a misinformed conscience. Now, let's go back over to the far right. <clears throat> How about a person on the far right who's got a weak conscience? This is a person who is one of those categories that we talked about on Wednesday. A person with a weak conscience, but crossing the line into legalism. You see, one of the things that happens with a person with a weak conscience is they try to protect themselves from the discomfort of the idea of Christian freedom by finding security in rules and finding security in regulations. And so they'll say, no, I'm not going to eat meat. And this is how they'll say it. You must follow the Old Testament dietary restrictions if you want to be a Christian. Paul talked about these in the New Testament. He called them the Judaizers the people who would try to impose the Jewish law. Galatians is almost the whole book is dedicated to dealing with people who try to say, in order to be a Christian, you got to follow the law of God. you got to be circumcised. you got to obey the food laws. you got to do the rituals of Judaism. And then if you want to be a Christian and follow Jesus, that's fine. Paul says, no, you can't do that. And people with the weak conscience, remember those categories we talked about on Wednesday, Sometimes they resort back into this. They fall into legalism in order to protect their weak conscience. And so they'll, they'll fall into the opposite heresy. They'll fall into distorting the gospel by legalistic addition. This is what the Pharisees did in this, when Jesus described them in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said. Um, he was challenging the Pharisees by adding to the spirit of the law. And so there's two inappropriate ways that people can can deal with uh, the idea of, of freedom. There's a strong conscience freedom by um, subtracting the essentials, but then there's a weak conscience freedom where a person um, finds inappropriate security and falls into, into a, a legalism of adding to in order to protect themselves uh, 
and their weak conscience. Well, now let's go into the next column towards the center. This is a person, let's go back over to the left. A strong conscience, but looking down on those with a weaker conscience. Paul talked about this in Colossians 2. Don't let anyone judge you. Specifically what he says. This person has a strong conscience, and they eat meat, and this is how they say it. I have freedom to eat meat, and those who don't are being unreasonable, are in our theological error. This is arrogance. This is a person who who, who sits on, and, and they say, you know, you people, you just don't know anything. I, I've got this all figured out. And you guys ought to just get your act together. And they just come into arrogance. They diminish the gospel by not loving one another. Well, let's go over to the right now and go one column in from the right. How about a weak conscience? Well, they have a weak conscience, but they fall into judgment. Those with a stronger conscience. They see someone with a stronger conscience expressing their freedom and they say, you can't do that. (laughs) Well, a person with a strong conscience who's got freedom feels free to do it. But a person with weak conscience who has fallen into some type of legalism says this, it's sinful to eat meat and Christians who do so are being unfaithful to God. This is judgmentalism. And Paul again says, don't let anybody... um, Deny your freedom. Don't let anybody um, stand in judgment. Uh, pronounce God's judgment upon you. This diminishes the gospel. So you see there are two admonitions for us here of inappropriate ways to, to deal with our own personal conscience. Now let's go into the middle. Um, let's go into the, the middle on the left. This is one way that we could appropriately deal with one another. And here are people with a strong conscience. How do people with a strong conscience deal with those who might differ with them in a strong conscience? I'm fully persuaded, yet I welcome, uh, rather than looking down on those with a weaker conscience. I welcome them and don't look down on them. So they'll eat meat. I have freedom to eat meat for the glory of God, but I still welcome those who disagree. And this is a loving thing to do. This reveals the gospel. Now let's go with a person with a weak conscience. This person um, is is also concerned about love, the law of Christ. My, I am fully persuaded, yet I welcome rather than judge those with a stronger conscience. And so they don't eat meat. They limit themselves. They say, no, I, I've got freedom but you know, my my conscience tells me that I can I, I I shouldn't do that. But you know, I'm not going to fall into judgment over these people. I'm going to welcome them. And so I abstain from eating meat for the glory of God, 
but I still welcome Christians who disagree. This, too, reveals the gospel. So there are people with strong consciences and person with weak consciences in the local church, but both of them understand the gospel so that they welcome those who disagree with them. One does not look down on someone because they don't have a strong conscience, and the other resists falling into judgmentalism because they don't have the degree of freedom that another person does. But what about the person in the middle? The person in the middle is kind of the, the, the ultimate Christian maturity. This is a person with, with a strong conscience, but they feel free to be flexible in disputable matters in order to edify fellow believers, in order to advance the gospel. <clears throat> so there are some times when they'll ask in love in the column to the left. There'll be sometimes they'll do that and they'll be just fine with that because they've got a strong conscience. There's other times when they'll go over one column to the right and they're okay with that too because they've got a strong conscience. And what? why do they do that? Well, because their strong conscience has been framed by the law of Christ. They know how to walk by the power of the Spirit. They allow God to lead them and direct them. Their conscience has been, been educated and framed by the principles of the Word of God. They experience love. They understand the gospel of grace. Here's what they say. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Um, the person in the middle section has got it right. Um, what do you do when you're right? Um, I think right is overrated. I have dealt with couples in marriage counseling over the years of my ministry where their relationship is severely hindered because one person comes across and says, but I'm right. And they might be. But if they're right, their insistence on being right is harming their marriage. They're shooting themselves in the foot because they insist on being right. Well, that's one of the two. I, I think that's the second column to the left. My spouse is just wrong. You see what that does to a marriage relationship? Um, what do you do with that? Well, what I try to do with couples that do that with me is I try to help them understand how to be flexible in your relationship. How to honor and love and deny your own ability to be right. Being right and sacrificing your marriage is a bad idea. 
It just doesn't work. Wouldn't it be better to have a good marriage and learn how to be flexible? Can you please give up your insistence on being right? Same thing in the local church. Can we give up our rights to be right and learn how to be flexible? That's the model that Paul gave us. I've become all things to all people that I might by all means foster church unity. And what does that do? That magnifies the gospel. What's the most important thing in the local church? The gospel. Yeah, but I'm right. Well, you might be. But can you be flexible about it? Can you take time to go over to the column to the left and say, well... Okay, people that might disagree with me and, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll live in with them for a little while, but, you know, I'm not gonna let them fall into looking down on people. Well, then I might go one column over to the right and I'm gonna say, well, you know, you're okay. You understand and, you know, you're limiting your freedom, but, you know, it's not right to fall into judgment with those people. You see, a person in the middle column is interested in building up people one column to the left and one column to the right in order to magnify the gospel and to foster ministry so that the gospel can go forth. I think that's the law of Christ. I think that's the way, I think that's the way we deal with people who have the varying different degrees of conscience. It's sensitive to people with a weak conscience. It's sensitive to people who uh, have freedom. It's sensitive to people who are wounded in their conscience. It's sensitive to people who are still learning, like Peter had to learn. He had to unlearn and then relearn. And it also gives people an opportunity to learn what it means to magnify the gospel more importantly as being more important than your own right to be right. See, that's how, that's how you develop Christian unity. That's how, that's how you help each other succeed in the local church. You give up your rights to be right. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus emptied himself of his right to be right. And he gave himself to redeem us and magnify the gospel. See, I think that's how we get along as Christians. And I think that's how we build up and honor one another in this whole area of rules and regulation. I think this is the way that we nurture one another in the local church when we have legitimate disagreements over what to do and how we live in this culture, which is a religiously pluralistic culture. To learn how to do that and to practice love and flexibility according to the model that the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take us to Romans chapter 14. And uh, I'm going to take some more time. 
uh, on this teaching today and go through the entire chapter of Romans chapter 14. And so if you're saying, no, I don't, I don't want to take any more time today, go ahead and pause and come back tomorrow. Um, but I want to show you how Romans 14 models and teaches specifically how this chart um, really works out in everyday life. So if you have your Bibles, and if you want to take some more time with me today, go with me to Romans chapter 14, and let's go through the principles that we've just discussed from Romans chapter 14 and see if we can put our finger on the text because that's a non-negotiable, isn't it? Got to make sure that this is really what the Bible teaches. So, number one, how do we deal with people who differ with us in the local church in matters of conscience? First, Romans 14, 1 to 2 Welcome those who disagree with us. Here's what Paul says. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So welcome both. Welcome everybody. Welcome those who disagree with us. That's the middle three columns on our chart. Don't look down on them. Don't stand in judgment on them. And if you're, if you're really got your act together, be flexible to be able to go back and forth between both sides. Number two, verses three and four. Those whose conscience restricts them must not be judgmental to those who have freedom. Verse 3 of Romans 14. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. So if God accepts them, we ought to accept them too. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? (laughs) To their own master's servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. That's the second. Three, each believer must be fully convinced in their position in their own conscience. If I were to pick one principle uh, in this whole discussion, it would be this. Look at verse 5. One person considers one day more more sacred than another, Another considers every day alike. But each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Be convinced in your own conscience. And then follow your own conscience. Oh, be flexible. And, you know, learn how to live with people on either side of you in your conscience. And be open to learning from other people. But in the end, it's your conscience. And Paul says, be fully convinced in your own mind. Do your homework. Go through and ask the Spirit of God to teach you. Have the Spirit of God who who has given us the law of Christ. Have, Have Him be your teacher and 
Be fully convinced in your own mind. And when you're fully convinced in your own mind, then live in the three center columns of our chart. And ask God to help you learn how to live in the middle and be flexible. Next, verses 6 to 9. Assume that others are partaking or refraining for the glory of God. Listen to verses 6 to 9. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Make that assumption. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Paul says in the pastoral epistles, if you receive it with thanks, go ahead and enjoy it. (laughs) Anything you receive with thanks, you're free. But whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to the God to God. Verse seven. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Make that make that assumption in the local church. When you're looking at somebody and say, you know, I can respect that person because I'm gonna, I'm just gonna assume that their most important ethic in life is to live for God's glory. Verse 9. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Next. Do not judge each other in these matters because we will all someday stand before the judgment seat of God. All this is clear beginning with verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Um, the law of Christ, the three center columns in our chart. That's the love of God. Don't fall into judgment of other people. Next, verses 13 to 15. Your freedom is correct, but don't let your freedom destroy the faith of a weaker brother. Verses 13 to 15. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord, that nothing isn't clean in itself. So Paul is definitely a stronger brother, isn't he? But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. And if your brother or sister is distressed, Because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Be very careful of encouraging someone to do something against their conscience. I remember I was with a pastor friend of mine. We were at National Conference. And it was right when the movie Black Hawk Down came out. 
It's a movie based on a real event that happened over in Africa. And it, it was a story of um, soldiers who were shot down uh, over um, an African city. And remember, maybe remember, some of you remember his body being dragged through the streets and everyone was celebrating uh, the victory over the, America, the great Satan America. Well, that movie was rated R. And I was at a national conference with a pastor friend and he wanted to go see that movie. He said, you want to go with me? And I said, sure. He said, but I want to ask you a question. Are you okay with R-rated movies? And I said, yeah. He says, I don't want to try to influence you to do something against your conscience. And I said, well, I know that this is a true story and I know that there's a lot of violence and I know that this really happened. And I also know that the actors that are depicting this, um, they're just actors and they're, this didn't really is not really happening. Um, and there's no nudity and sexuality. Um, and I'm okay with vulgarity because I know that's realistic. And, and I'm a stronger brother and I'm okay. And I'm totally free to do this. But he was really concerned with me that he was not asking me to go watch a movie that I would sin against my conscience. But I was totally fine with going to that movie. And it did have an impact on my life. And it gave me a greater appreciation for just the, the situation that we're faced with, um, with with some of the oppression and the totalitarian disregard of some nations over their people. And, and uh, so I was totally okay with it. But, boy, be very careful asking someone to do something that might cause them to sin against their conscience and destroy the faith of someone else. Next, verses 16 to 21. This is interesting. Disagreements are not important in the kingdom of God. In other words, it's okay to disagree with each other. Building each other up in righteousness, peace, and joy, that's what's important. I can disagree with somebody and still have peace and joy. I can pursue righteousness. The disagreement in itself is not wrong. The way that we disagree, go back to that chart and figure out, making sure that we stay in those middle three columns and learning how to be flexible in the center, that's the important thing. Look at verse 16 to 21. Therefore, do not let what you know as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to even eat meat or drink or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Next, verse 22. If you have freedom, don't flaunt it. (laughs) If you are strict, don't expect others to be strict like you. Verse 22. 
So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Now, it's pharisaical for a person to try to control somebody else by playing the causes me to stumble card. Um, I don't think that we need to be bound up by that. We can express a freedom, but don't flaunt it. Um, don't, don't make someone feel like they're insignificant by it. Um, if you're strict, if you don't have the freedom, don't come to someone and say, that causes me to stumble, so you can't ever do that again. Well, I believe, yes, you can. Just not in a way that would cause them to stumble. And it's just not appropriate for someone to try to control somebody else's behavior. That's just selfishness. That's pharisaical. But the center line is, I'm flexible. Okay, when I'm around you, I won't do it. But when I'm not around you, I've got freedom that I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to flaunt it. I'm not going to make you feel bad. And I'm not going to try to control somebody else. A person who lives according to their conscience is blessed. Look at verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. But if it's from faith, (laughs) you are blessed. That's what verse 22 says. Verse 22 says, uh, if the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, he says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who learns how to live that way. That's what we want in a Christian life, isn't it? We want to be blessed. Um, we want to have a, we want to have fun. We want to have the charm of the Christian life in us. Verse, chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Follow the example of Christ. We are so, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that is written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice, we might glorify God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, verse 7 of chapter 15, we bring glory to God when we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. See, that's how we get along with one another according to the law 
of Christ. So to summarize, I refer back to the quote from John Newton. John Newton said, You may be able to compel people to maintain a certain minimum standard by stressing duty. But the highest moral and spiritual achievements depend not upon push, but upon a pull. People must be charmed (laughs) into righteousness. That's been my heart. That's what I've been trying to communicate with you all week. The gospel is a life of being charmed into righteousness. So we have freedom from religious rules. We have life in the spirit. We express that freedom according to a Christian and biblical conscience, always practicing the way of love when believers differ in expressing their freedom. And I think this summarizes what it means to have the charm of the Christian life according to the law of Christ. I'd love to interact with you if you've got anything that you would like to clarify with me, talk about anything. Give me a call. We'll chat. God bless you as you keep your finger on the text in this very, very important uh, endeavor of living one with another out of love for Christ. God bless.